May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I came up with a little thought experiment this week, and it went something like this. Um, suppose you had a time machine. You could use it only once. And you wouldn't have any of those bizarre butterfly effects, you know, like where you, you know, change one little thing and you wake back in the present and you're in the middle of World War III. None of that stuff would happen. You you just go back and you fix one thing and you come back to your present and sort of everything else would be pretty much the same. I mean, suppose you could do that. What would you change? What would I change? This is my thought experiment. Um, I, I bounced it around a little bit. Um, Abby and Dietrich and some others, you know, like, what, what do you think about this? I saw, I was in a, I was in a hotel this weekend. I saw this couple uh, uh, sitting over um, eating breakfast, and I thought I was going to go up and ask them. But then I decided maybe not, you know. But, uh, some of the things that I thought about um, in 1997, when Amazon um, went public, uh, if you had invested, you know, just um, ten thousand dollars today, it'd be worth almost four million. Okay. Um, even just in 2000, you know, uh, you would have been, had been worth well over a million. So just a few years later, I, I think maybe, you know, if I, my, my one little time machine, you know, maybe 1997, that might be a time to go to. Um, I thought about 1995 as well. I got three speeding tickets that year. Um, I, I might have been a little more careful, you know, that year. It would have been probably a good idea. Another one came to mind in the fifth grade, um, Mrs. Oliver's class. One day I show up and um, my friend John Hughes was there and I showed him I had in my pocket four pieces of this um, extra size Bazooka Joe bubble gum, you know, like the double size ones. Like, look what we're going to have at recess. And, you know, Mrs. Oliver with her eagle eyes, like, Joe Boyce up front of the class, you know, she makes me go up in front of the class and empty your pockets. Let me see what you have in your pockets, you know, some string and. Rubber bands, maybe a bull for all. I don't know what else is in there. But then my, my four pieces of Bazooka Joe bubble gum. She snatches them out of my hand and puts them in her desk drawer and says, you'll get them after school. <laughs> so messed up. You know what? Didn't anything wrong at all, you know? And, and then the bell rang for recess sometime later. Um, John says to me, hey, Joe, come here. He kind of lingered back and everybody else walked out of class. And he says to me, I bet we could grab two of them. Old Battleaxe Oliver never noticed that two are missing. I'm like, you know what? You're probably right. You know, it's a good idea, right? It's a perfect idea. So I did just that. I only took 50%, right? Um, and so I took him. Turns out she noticed. Uh, and, <laughs> and somehow found out that John was even complicit in it. Uh, we both got sent to the offices. This was in the day before ca- uh, corporal punishment, almost a capital punishment, before corporal punishment uh, uh, was no longer, you know, uh, uh, politically incorrect. And so, wow, wow, you know, um, the board of knowledge applied to the seat of education and, um, and we were sent back to class, tears in our eyes and whatnot. I don't know if I'd use my one trip to go back to fifth grade and fix that one, but if I couldn't come up with anything better, I mean, that would be something to do. I might pick out one of the 68,927 times in my life that my big mouth has got me into trouble where I've said something I should not have said. I mean, I'd go back there maybe and fix just one of those, get me out of some trouble. We could all use a time machine, just like once or twice, couldn't we? I mean, just that one little instant where you could go back and just change something, just one do-over. Could we have just one do-over? And That would be really nice, I think.
Anybody here ever heard the name Steve Bartman? Steve Bartman mean anything to you? If you're from Chicago, you might know who Steve Bartman is. You see, in, in um, 2003, Steve Bartman had great tickets to a Chicago Cubs playoff game, uh, championship series. Winner goes to the World Series. Game six, Cubs are up th- yeah, get, get three games to two. They're four outs away from winning the game and going to... The Cubs have not been to the World Series since 1906. That is the longest drought. 1908, am I right? 1908. The longest drought, whether it's six or eight, it's the longest drought of any professional sport. What is it? They haven't won the series since 1908. They went in 45. Yes, that's right. That's right. They went in 45. Thank you for the correction over there. I thought maybe Siri from the back of the truck was going to get me, but there you go. Um, 1908. And, and here's the thing. The longest drought in professional sports franchise Yes, Cleveland, even longer than ours. Steve Bartman, a fan, foul ball coming toward the side, reaches over and interferes with the catch. Okay, The umpire didn't call it interference, said it was out of play, but he took away an out. The guy gets another pitch, gets a walk. The Marlins score eight runs that inning. The Cubs lose the game. They lose the next game, and they still have not been to the World Series. Since 1945, ever once since whatever it is, 08. Steve Bartman was on every television camera, okay? Everybody's getting cell phone calls uh, around the stadium. He's starting to get booed. People are throwing food at him. Security comes down and escorts him out. People are throwing beers at him. He's being pummeled as he's kind of led out of the stadium. By the time the evening news ran, his name was out. And the entire Chicagoland area knew who had cost them the game. He started getting death threats. He had to quit going to work for a while. He was worried about his family's safety. To his credit, um, a couple weeks later, um, a a company offered him $25,000 to autograph a baseball, and he turned it down. And then later that year, he was offered a six-figure figure to or six-figure uh, offer to uh, to star in a Super Bowl commercial, and he turned that down. He did not try to parlay his uh, his 15 minutes of infamy into any sort of money. But can you imagine if Steve Bartman had my one-time use time machine? I mean, I don't know what else happened in the guy's life. I mean, maybe there's something much worse. But I bet he would be tempted to say. Man, there's a do-over I'd like to have, you know. I would like to have that one. We don't get do-overs, do we? How many times do you think somebody has stood before a judge and said, if only I could turn back time. If only I hadn't done, if only I could go back in time, I wouldn't do the same thing again. If only. Last week we looked at, uh, at a story from the book of Acts in chapter 4. This one we're kind of backing up and going in chapter 3. And I said that one of the things that we saw in the early church is that it was a provocative church. It provoked people with its message and with its lifestyle. There were things about the church that were so provocative that caused people to look at, at these Christians and say, what in the world are they doing? Why are they doing that? And in this story, you have Peter and John heading into the temple, and there's this, um, there's this guy who's begging. He, he's, he's been there for a long time. He's, he's a regular feature at the temple. Um, I imagine he's got a little, a little uh, reed basket, don't you? Maybe a little, a little reed mat he's sitting on. He, he's lame. He's never walked in his entire life. 
I hear him saying, alms for the poor. I don't know why he says it in an English accent, but I feel like he does, you know, like alms for the poor, you know, uh, and, and people are going by and maybe tossing coins in there. And Peter walks by and he sees him and he gets the same, you know, the same question. You know, can you give me some money? And Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any money. Silver and gold have we none. I'd give you money if I had any. I think it's the truth, by the way. But he says to him, but what I do have, I give to you. He reaches down, grabs the guy by the arm and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And man, the guy rises up and he's walking. I mean, before he realized what happened, he's on his feet. He has never walked in his entire life. And he starts jumping up in the air. He is thrilled. He's amazed. He's, he's starting to shout. He's praising God. And all of a sudden, people start looking around. They're like, that looks like that beggar guy I've seen there every day. You know, right? And there, a crowd gathers. They're looking. And they're amazed. This is the beggar. And then immediately they turn. And, and these are the guys, Peter and John, who did something remarkable. Maybe they're angels, you know? Nobody's ever confused me with an angel. You know, they've never said that. Perhaps they have you. But Peter and John, they do. They're an angel. Or, or maybe they're magicians. Maybe they're, they're like magic men. And that's what Peter says, right? Do you think we did this out of our own piety, our own holiness, or out of our own power? No. None of that. That is not how this happened. In fact, how did it happen? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of Jesus. You know, remember the Jesus, the one whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate? You know that Jesus? Uh, The one who, when Pilate was ready to release him, you said, no, he'd rather have someone else like that fellow Barabbas. The Jesus who is the author of life, you would rather had him murdered and, and Barabbas released? That Jesus. Oh, that Jesus? Yes, that Jesus. How do you think that maybe the people around sort of felt that day when they realized that the Jesus that they wanted to be crucified was the very one that God had glorified? They had made a huge mistake. I mean, how would you feel if you asked for the murder of Mother Teresa and set free Osama bin Laden? I mean, how would you feel about that? Oh, my word. What have we done? How have we let that... We didn't know. I mean, if only we had known. Listen to what Peter says here in Acts chapter 3. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You can hear them, right? We didn't know. As also did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Listen to this. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Repent and turn back. Yes, it was ignorance, but no longer is it ignorance. Now you know. Turn back. It's a really complicated compound word that Luke uses here. Turn the other direction. You're going north, turn and go south. You're going east, turn and go west. Left and right. I don't know. Give me some other ones. You know what I'm talking Go the opposite direction. And it's figurative, though, not literal. Don't literally go the other direction, but figuratively in your life. 
a 180-degree turn. Go the different direction. And what will happen? Your sins will be blotted out. And two, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. You'll feel new life. You'll feel energized. You'll feel refreshed. You'll be at peace with God. Turn. Find peace. Find life. Forgiveness of sin. Energized. Refreshed. See, here's the truth about my time machine experiment as I worked through it in my thoughts, you know, as I kept going through it. The problem was, is if I limited it to a one-time time machine, I would be thoroughly frustrated. And if I gave you a time machine and told you one use only, you would just say, I'd rather not have it at all. One time doesn't get us where we need to be, does it? Because we have messed up time and time again. You know, can I have five? <laughs> you know, can I have five uses? Give me five. Five is probably enough. All right, could I have ten? Could I have ten uses of my time machine? I could really do with ten. If we were honest with ourselves, if we had been in the first century, if we had been followers of Jesus, if we had been people in the city, we'd have done exactly the same thing as everybody else did. We would have fled, saved ourselves. We would have denied, I don't know that man, I've never seen him before. We would have shouted from the city streets, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Take ourselves back, that's where we stand. See, here's the thing that Peter does that is most provocative. It's not that he heals a lame man. The thing that he does that is most provocative is this, is that he tells us, that despite whatever we've done, no matter how bad it is, that God is ready and willing to forgive. That's what's most provocative. God will forgive anything and everything. Oh, I've heard people say, you know, I think he can forgive most people, but I don't think he could forgive me. You don't know what I've done. And I say to him, I know, I don't know what you've done. But let me ask you this. I mean, suppose... um, Suppose you were the person who was responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross and crucifying him. I mean, that was you. You're the one who did that. I mean, Peter says that God will forgive you for that. Now, compare your worst thing to that thing. How does it compare? If God could forgive us for crucifying the Messiah, what could he not forgive us for? There's just that one caveat, though, right? Turn around. Turn around. Go the other direction. Repent. Do that. Thomas Merton, 20th century monk, um, wrote a book called No Man is an Island. Here's what he writes. He says, God does not demand that every person attain to what is theoretically highest and best. It is better to be a good street sweeper than a bad writer. Better to be a good bartender than a bad doctor. And the repentant thief who died with Jesus on Calvary was far more perfect than the holy ones who had him nailed to the cross. And yet, abstractly speaking, what is more holy than the priesthood and less holy than the state of a criminal? The dying thief had perhaps disobeyed the will of God in many things, but in the most important event of his life, he listened and obeyed. The Pharisees had kept the law to the letter and had spent their lives in the pursuit of the most scrupulous perfection. But they were so intent upon perfection as an abstraction that when God manifested his will and his perfection in a concrete, definite way, they had no choice but to reject it. 
The person who finds peace with God, who finds new life in Jesus Christ, is not the one who does everything perfectly. It is not the life devoid of error. It is the one who, when she or he sees their sin, turns away from it and turns back to God. That's the one who finds peace. That's the one who finds forgiveness. That's the one who finds seasons of refreshment. The only question that is left to be answered is this. What kind of person do you want to be? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.